Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the Key Row Film Society, and I am Pastor Neil Wemus. Uh, today we are continuing with uh, the Christmas theme that we kind of started up with last week. Uh, we did a few John Hughes movies focused on uh, planes, trains, and automobiles, and then the Home Alone movies. Today we're continuing. Continuing on this Christmas theme movie because it is, it is the month of December. It is the secular Christmas season. I know in the church it's technically Advent. In fact, today is the first of the, the great O Antiphon's day. Um, so if you're familiar with the hymn O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, there are seven verses to that hymn. And so the seven verses are all part of the great O Antiphons. So it starts on December 17th, and it goes all the way to December 23rd. Those are the last seven days of Advent. And so today, here I'll just sing it for you. So today's verse is, O come, O come thou wisdom from on high, all things mightily to us the path of knowledge show and teach us in her ways to go rejoice rejoice Emmanuel shall come to thee So that's the um, that's the verse today. It's a paraphrase of the great O Antiphon set aside for December 17th. And it's kind of interesting that the second verse of the hymn serves as the first day. So if you really wanted to, and, the re, and yet, and the first verse is actually belongs to December 23rd, so the last day. So let's say for example, if you really wanted to take on these great Oantiphons and really get into the Advent celebration, what I suggest is every single day in, in from today, December 17th, until December 23rd, sing two verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So what you sing is, so like today, you'd sing verse 1, and verse 2 of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. If you have Lutheran service book as a hymnal, you can find this on page 357. So anyways, today you'd sing verse 1 and verse 2. Tomorrow you'd sing verse 1 and 3. Day after, verse 1 and 4, etc., etc. And so you, so you sing in accordance with what date it is. And then when you get to day seven, so December 23rd, instead of singing two verses, you sing the entire hymn. Just kind of an idea as a way to really celebrate, to commemorate that Advent is coming to an end. And Saturday, December 24th, is Christmas Eve. So, uh, anyway, so that's... Uh, 
You know, so that's the season we're in, and we're almost at the end of it. But before we get to that, we got a couple things to do in terms of this podcast. So this week, we are going to focus on a specific... Okay, Christmas movies kind of have, I think there's basically three distinct categories of Christmas movies. There are... There's the secular Christmas movie... And these are probably the bulk of them. So this is like the Santa Claus, um, any of the Christmas Carol movies, uh, you know, Elf, uh, A Christmas Story, um, any of those type of movies. Those are the first tier. And those are by far the most popular ones. They're the ones that make the most money. Uh, The second category... And I'm talking about major cinematic releases, so I'm not including anything that shows up on the Hallmark Channel, any of those straight-to-DVD Christian Christmas movies. I'm talking about the cinematic ones. So the second category, which is sadly the smaller, smallest of these categories, but it is what we're going to focus on this coming Saturday, you know, next weekend. Um, The second category is movies that are explicitly Christian in content, Christian in theme. And so they're focusing on the Christian element of the Christmas celebration. A case could be made (coughs) that the Christmas Carol movies, um, especially the originals, and even the the newest, the more, um, the 19... The um, John Hughes version of Miracle on 34th Street, you could make a case that those movies kind of overlap uh, both categories. But really, the ones that are purely of the Christian variety are very few. Um, We're going to be reviewing, I'm probably going to do the Nativity Story next Sunday or next week. And that's pretty much the sole, one of the very few clear-cut uh, Christmas movies that come out at this time of the year that are Christian. And then there's the third category, and that's what we're going to focus on today. And that is the movie that is not actually explicit, that its movie is takes place at Christmas, but nothing about the movie is inherently Christmas in, in nature. All right? And so, examples of this. Probably the most famous two examples is the Die Hard films. Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2, both of them take place at Christmas. But honestly, though that movie took place on uh, Arbor Day, it would still be the same, very similar story, all right? Um, it, the date of it, the holiday does not make a huge difference, but... Most of us, a lot of us call it a Christmas movie, and that's okay. Um, another one, you know, uh, another one that could go onto that list is something like Batman Returns. Uh, that takes place during Christmas. Ghostbusters 2 takes place between Christmas and uh, New Year's, takes place in that season. We're going to focus on two movies that fall into this category. And they're two very distinctly different movies and the one that we are going to start with is silver linings playbook which is a a great movie it stars um 
Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. Um, an absolutely wonderful movie that happens to take place right around the Christmas season. The key elements, the key point, key scenes of the film are right in the Christmas area. But it's not a movie where it taking place at Christmas is necessary for the story, all right? The other one that I would put um, on that list, the number two one, the other one that we're going to look at is Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, which, you know, it's got snow featured in it and actually has um, Father Christmas or a version of Santa Claus appear in the story. But again, it's not inherently a Christmas movie. So those are the two movies we are going to focus on today that they fall into that third category. It just happens to have Christmassy elements in it, major portions of it incorporate Christmas themes, but it's not Christmas themed in and of itself. All right. So with all of that in mind, uh, we're going to start with playing the trailer for Silver Linings Playbook, uh, which... Hold on a second, and we'll listen to that now. What? Hey. What's this? Can you tell me you took him out? The court said yes. Yeah, but what did the doctor say? Can I do an interview for a school project on mental illness? No. I'm ready. I feel motivated. I don't feel so angry all the time. For this Hemingway guy to survive the war and to be with the woman that he loves. It's four o'clock in the morning, Pat. I can't apologize. I will apologize on behalf of Ernest Hemingway because that's who's to blame here. Yeah, have Ernest Hemingway call us and apologize to us, too. Pat, you have to have a strategy. I hate my illness and I want to control it. I hope you're okay with Veronica's sister coming over. Tiffany and Tommy? Just Tiffany. What happened to Tommy? He died. Tommy died. Please don't bring it up. Hey, Tiffany. This is Pat. You look nice. Thank you. How Tommy died? What meds are you on? I used to be on lithium and seroquel. I was on Xanax. You ever take clonopin? Clonopin. Yeah. I'm tired. I want to go. Are you going to walk me home or what? You have poor social skills. You have a problem. I have a problem? Mm -hmm. You say more inappropriate things than appropriate things. Doc, she's crazy. Hey. Whoa, what the hell? She knew where I was. She followed me. Then why don't you run somewhere else? Calm down, crazy. Maybe she just needs a friend. You want to have dinner at this diner? Pick me up at 7.30. So how's your job? I just got fired, actually. Oh, really? How? By having sex with everybody in the office. Everybody? I was very depressed after Tommy died. We don't have to talk about it. Thanks. How many were there? Oh, she's a mess. You gotta be careful. She does a lot of therapy. I go to a lot of therapy. Am I messed up? I just gotta get a strategy, you know? Me too. So there's this dance thing. I can only do it if I have a partner. Oh, I'm not going to dance with you. So is this the girl that you wrote about? You wrote about me? She's fun. She is my friend with an F. A capital F. She's my Poor friend. What are you so up about? I'm happy. Look, I'm my best self today, and I think she's her best self, and that's a good thing. Lost in my mind. Lost in my mind. You don't want to listen to your father, I don't listen to mine. When life reaches out at a moment like this, it's a sin if you don't reach back. This is what I believe to be true. You have to do everything you can. And if you stay positive, you have a shot at a silver line. Uh, 
All right, so that's the uh, trailer for Silver Linings Playbook. As I mentioned, it stars Bradley, Bradley Cooper, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, uh, Chris Tucker, Julia Stiles. Uh, those are the notable actors in the film. Uh, it's a, it was a, it is truly a very, very good film. It's based on the book, uh, the novel written by Matthew Quick. Uh, it's of the same name. Uh, if you've read, if you ever read the book, The Silver Linings Playbook by Matthew Quick, it is a very different story. It changes quite a bit um, from the book to um, to the film. And and the thing is, is I will straight up say probably it's good if you see the movie first, because if you read the book, you're going to be so irritated by how much the movie changes. But if you do the other way around, which is how I did it, you'll find that you enjoy both of them. Even though they, I mean, the the thematically there's a lot of similarities, but the changes are enough that it almost feels like you've got two different movies. And you have two different sets of characters. And, and I accept that. I was actually pretty acceptable of the changes they made. Because it provided for two unique enough stories that makes it worth reading the book and watching the movie. So, um, the movie is... Um, it's got a strong screenplay, very, very strong performances between, uh, by both uh, Bradley Cooper and uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Aunt De Niro has a really good performance in this as well. Uh, Jackie Weaver, who plays, uh, you know, Pat, who, you know, Bradley Cooper's mother, incredibly, just a great performance. So many little moments here and there. Um, the movie actually got quite some pretty good uh, reception in terms of the awards. Um, at the Oscars, it got nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence winning um, the award for Best Actress. So, like I said, a very strong film. Uh, great performances across the board. Um, and, you know, it's... What I like about the movie is it... What it does is it's... I mean, first you have the character development. You have the relationship between Jennifer Lawrence's character, um, uh, who is played by a character... Who, her character is named uh, Tiffany Maxwell. And you have Bradley Cooper, who plays uh, Pat. So Pat and Tiffany, these are the. This is the main relationship, and the story is that Pat is a guy who has just gotten out of a mental hospital um, in Baltimore because of what he did to an individual. He beat this guy to death, almost beat him to death, uh, because he was you know cheating. He was sleeping with his wife, and. And so he went to the hospital. It turned out that he had uh, bipolar um, disorder and some other anxiety, anxiety disorder and some other um, mental health concerns. And he meets this girl, Tiffany, who has lost her husband. Uh, and she's kind of, ex she's suffering from her own set, set of mental health issues and that has led her to sleep with anybody and everybody using her body 
to make herself feel better, to make herself feel valued, to make herself feel wanted. And because of their mental, their particular situations, the two find a mutual relationship and they slowly get closer and closer and connect with one another. And <clears throat> I think it's a very, like I said, I think it's the two play some very good, genuine performances. Uh, they play off of one another very well. Um, cannot underestimate the value of, you know, what the, how they, the roles of the parents. Like I said, Jack, Robert De Niro plays Pat Sr., so uh, Pat's father, Jackie Weaver, playing Dolores, his, his mother. Um, I love the way you see uh, Dolores, Jackie Weaver's character, reacting to Pat and, um, you know, seeing this relate. It's great watching that him, watching her, and then a little bit later, you see the same thing with De Niro. You see them reacting to the relationship develop. I mean, they're uneasy at first, but you eventually see them working together. And it's like I said, it's a very um, it's a well-crafted story, strong performances. I mean, seeing Robert De Niro um, late in the movie waking up Pat because, you know, with tears in his eyes, trying to get his son to be involved in his life. And, um, and you see the OCD stuff that De Niro's doing. And so what this movie does, what you learn from it is... It's about mental health. It's dealing with how we deal with those who have mental illness. Uh, you see specifically Pat. Um, you see Pat when he talks to one of these teachers and she's acting freaked out. Like he's going to do something to her when you can tell clearly he's not going to hurt her. and But yet she's totally panicking. You're hearing people... Um, kind of having these side comments about him or maybe about Tiffany. Or you have this little scene at the kitchen table early on in the movie where Tiffany and Pat and is sitting there with Pat's sister, or Tiffany's sister, sorry, and um, brother-in-law. And so Tiffany and Pat are talking about their mental health medications. And... You can see the awkwardness. They're, they don't know how to handle it. They feel outsiders. And and it's kind of interesting because the mental health people are a person who struggles with mental illness always feels like they're the outsider, always feels like they're the odd man. And yet in this scene, because you have two <coughs> people who are finding a common relationship, a common bond on account of their mental health struggles, they actually make um, Veronica and uh, her husband, and Veronica and Ronnie feel like they're the outsiders, even though they're at home in their own home, too. And so, um, and the thing that you slowly, if you watch through the movie, is you see these two main characters struggling with mental health, but the thing is, is that Everyone else around them 
is has their own struggles. <coughs> Whether it be Pat's brother, um, his brother Jake. You see Jake has struggles. You know, he's got this law firm. But, and I actually think there's something in the book version, they highlight this, but apparently Jake has problems in his work. He has workaholic, pro has workaholic tendencies. He has dishonesty issues in his law firm. Um, there's, uh, with, with Ronnie and Veronica, their marriage is really problematic. You have um, Pat's father is severely, is OCD. I mean, you see every, all these people, everybody in the movie has problems of some sort. Um, Randy, the guy that uh, Pat, Pat Sr. is doing the gambling with, clearly has a gambling addiction. And you, you see all these people that actually do have... Um, their own issues, their own mental struggles. And you realize that even though they, Tiffany and Pat are treated as the weirdos, as the oddballs, the reality is, is that all, everybody, and that's what I think the movie is getting across, is that all of us struggle with mental health, struggle with life. Because like he says at the very end, and I, I'm going to pull up this quote, so I'm going to pause this for a second so I can pull up the quote. As he's, you know, so as he says, just I'm going to just take this very, it's a short quote. Um, but he says, the world will break your heart ten ways to Sunday. That's guaranteed. I can't begin to explain that. With the craziness inside myself and everyone else. So, I mean, it's just a simple reality. All of us struggle. All of us have things in this life that gives us anxiety, they depress us, they make us... It's The difference is that a person who goes to a counselor, the person who ends up in a mental health, mental hospital for a little bit, they're honest. I think that's what, maybe that's the difference is they are honest with the fact that the world is beating them up and they have scars to show it and they need help. And maybe more of us need to learn that because we think we are so afraid to get help. When our marriages are falling apart, when we're stretched beyond belief by people, by our work, by our, in our families, our friends, when we feel... Um, alone, when we feel depressed, when we feel brokenhearted, we need help. And that's what I think I like of this movie is that this is kind of calling you to do that. You know, some if you have to get the, you know, if a doctor, you know, you need, and when we get that help, maybe, just maybe, there might be a little silver lining on the other side. Um, the scripture that I would call to mind this is, so is um, taken from the book of um, Galatians. It's Galatians 6.2 where it just simply says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, you know, talking about these struggles...
Paul in the letter to Galatians says exactly that. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, when we think that we have it all together, we deceive ourselves. We don't have it all together. We need one another. That's why the writer to the Hebrews tells you, do not forsake the gathering together, believers. God does not want us to celebrate our the divine service in solitude. He does not want us to just read the scriptures on our own, just to sing hymns together on our own. We're supposed to be with one another. Is we need one another to lift one another up. And um, Silver Linings Playbook is calling to you, calling to people to seek help. And to recognize their weakness, recognize their struggles, and to seek help where it is. And, and from a Christian standpoint, that's what the church is supposed to be there for. We are to be there to help each other. I mean, it actually begins with us acknowledging the fact that we are broken, that we need help. And we turn, we turn first and foremost to Christ. We first and foremost turn to God, our Heavenly Father, in prayer. But as Christians, we also turn to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we may bear one another's burdens. So that's what I got on the movie there, Silver Linings Playbook. Um, it's got a sound, pretty good soundtrack, a lot of good songs uh, scattered throughout it. Um, and like I said, strong performances, well-written screenplay, and so and it is kind of a Christmassy movie because the dance scene at the very end of the movie happens during Christmas, and you can see the Christmas decorations, and um, there's a kind of a Christmas dinner that happens in the course of the movie, so that's why it kind of falls under this third category of the not explicitly Christmas Christmas movies. And that leads, and so uh, with that in mind, we're going to transition over to the other movie. But before we do that, um, there is this weekend, um, I, this, just yesterday I saw a couple new movies. And I'm going to introduce this little halfway segment with a trailer. State your name for the record. Jen Ursa. Forgery of imperial documents. Possession of stolen property. Aggravated assault. Resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15. Reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know what it is and how to destroy it. Is that clear? Yes, sir.
continue to fight. So Mark, this past year has been okay, a that was uh, Star Wars. Sorry about that. Ah, okay, sorry. Whole bunch of unplanned sounds popped through. Downside to doing a raw recording. Uh, but anyways, um, that was a record. That was from the trailer, a Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, the trailer. I just saw the movie this past Thursday night. Um, over in Spirit Lake, it was a, uh, it was, I love the movie, I'm probably gonna go see it two or three more times, and I guarantee it when it comes out on DVD, I'm gonna want to watch it, and part of that is just because I want to watch it, um, in the context of watching the other, um, six or seven now Star Wars movies, at the very minimum watching Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, and... A New Hope, back to back to back to back, all in one setting, which would be great because it's a. I love the movie. Um, the story was emotional. Um, if you if you've ever seen A New Hope, you should know how this movie's going to end because um, it's it tells you exactly what's going to happen. But the, it's the details of what happens that makes it so exciting. You get to see um, a bit of Darth Vader. You get to see his lair. You get to see um, all these classic characters. You really got to see how scary the Empire is. How scary um, the Death Star is. The prospect of it. I mean, the movie was done just excellent. All right? Um... One of my favorite Star Wars movies so far. Um, I liked it as much as I liked The Force Awakens. Um, so that is my thoughts on it. If I encourage you, if you're a Star Wars fan, go watch it. Um, I also saw the movie Moana or Moana, Moana or Moana or however you pronounce it. Um, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson is one of the voices of Maui. Uh, not going to go too much into that movie. Um, but just to say, it's got a good soundtrack, um, like an old-fashioned Disney animated movie. It's very musical. Um, great character. I think it's got good characters, good voice acting, good story. Uh, it's definitely, from a, a theological standpoint, um, it definitely has a bit of pantheism. But beyond that, it's, it's a good, enjoyable movie. I encourage seeing that as well. But out of those two movies, definitely go see Rogue One um, if you're a Star Wars fan. Uh, so with that in mind, we're going to continue into the other uh, movie for the day. The other movie focused on um, is our second uh, non-Christmas you know, non Christmas, Christmas movie, all right? Mrs. McCready. I'm afraid so. The professor is unaccustomed to having children in this house. And as such, there are a few rules we need to follow. There will be no shouting or running. No sliding on the banisters. No touching of the historical artifacts. And above all, there shall be no 
Alright, so that was the trailer of the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I apologize, it's probably not the best trailer to record audio, um, because so much of the trailer is dependent upon the visuals, but hopefully got a little bit out of it. Um, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is a movie that is actually pretty strong in quality. One, but what really hurt the movie is when it was released. It was released back at the height of uh, the Lord of the Rings films and the Harry Potter films. And so when it came out, it was invariably compared to both of them. And when you compare uh, Chronicles of Narnia to the Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings franchises, it just doesn't compare. It does not have as good as studios, does not have as good as directors. Um, it does not have the legacy as strong as those two movies are. And so therefore, it just didn't have the oomph um, to really get things going. But nonetheless, the movie was pretty, was pretty good. Um, the child actors are so-so, but... The movie is able to make up more more than make up for it with with uh, cinematics. Um, definitely has great cinematography, a uh, very strong um, uh, music score. Uh, you get a strong performance by uh, Tilda Swinton, who plays the White Queen. Uh, you got a strong, and of course, Liam Neeson is voicing Aslan, which works great. And so you have things like that that make the movie um, definitely worth seeing. But as I bring that all up, there, you know, the purpose of this podcast is I'm looking at movies and I'm looking at the themes of it. So when we were talking about Silver Linings Playbook a little bit ago, I went into the mental health ele element, which was very, very strongly at work in that film. Here, 
We're dealing with Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian apologists of the 20th century. So inevitably, there is some very, very strong uh, Christian themes. And um, we're going to go through a whole bunch of this. And so I gotta, I'm going to go through a whole bunch of things here. And so if you watch the movie, the movie begins with an air raid in World War II. And so you see the bombers going over London, and this is the thing that leads the parent, the children being sent away. And I like this kind of startup because the idea of having your hometown being bombed, that's something that is completely foreign to Americans. We have never, ever had that happen outside of the attack on Pearl Harbor. We do not know what it's like to be in the midst of a war where we have to see airplanes going over our houses and bombing them. We don't know what it's like to have to rush, you know, running into the house to get a picture of your father because that's all the memory you have of him during this war out of fear that your father might die in combat. We don't know that, but that's the way the movie starts. And the movie, I think, does a pretty good job of depicting the, the horror of that time. Um, now the downside is, is that it doesn't go back, it doesn't revisit it. Um, this is one of the things I think that sometimes in these movies where they have these opening scenes, um, you know, given the background of the characters, where they are before these fantastical things happen, what their life is, they don't ever revisit it. I wish they would. And they don't do that here. Um, and so... You know, they go off to, and so they're sent off on the train. And like I said, a very beautiful sequence of shots, great music. And they're being sent off to this professor's house that's in rural England. And, you know, they stay there. And it starts out boring. And it leads to this point where they end up in, you know, Lucy, the youngest girl, ends up going through this wardrobe. And she meets a fawn. Okay. Um, something that she, you know, we don't really see that in our lives. And so she sees this half man, half goat. And, you know, he refers to her as the daughter of Eve. So the first, that's, you know, that's your first um, biblical reference. Daughter of Eve. And later... The boys are called daughter, sons of Adam. This is the writer acknowledging that Adam and Eve are actual historical people. Acknowledging that they are descendants of Adam and Eve, the, create, the first man and the first woman. And very quickly, very soon, um, you do have... Um, you have... And so the movie is the story focuses very much on this fantastical world beyond the wardrobe. And it's of importance to note that C.S. Lewis was a person that had a huge appreciation for fairy tales. There's a quote about him that when he was 10 years old, he was terrified that anybody would find out that he read fairy tales. But it wasn't until he got to be um, an adult, when he's in his 50s, he's proud to read them. And he's grown back into them, he talks about. 
And that, you know, that's the desire for that adults who grew out of fairy tales, grew out of those fantastical stories, would grow back into them. Because here's the thing is that fairy tales somehow, you know, somewhere in the 19th century, it began to be taught that the fantastical stories were um, children's things and that adults should not bother with them. Before that, there was no notion of that. But it started in that time, and it's really not completely gone away. It's still very prevalent in our society, especially amongst um, those who were born in the modernist era. And so, but, you know, C.S. Lewis, um, back in the 19th century, G.K. Chesterton, two Christian theologians who prominently argued and defended the reading of fairy tales, the reading of fantasy, um, talking about how, you know, they, you know, for one, it allows us to solve the world, allows us, for one, it's escapism from a world that is so dark, so tragic, so wicked. It's a place to escape to. But there's also, um, they tend to carry lessons in them. There tend to be morality plays in almost all of them. Um, you know, one of the most famous uh, stories that you have in fantasy, fairy tales, superheroes, is the story of the damsel in distress, the woman that is in danger of the dragon or some type of villain, and the brave knight or the brave hero is to go save her. This is, um, you know, allegorical of what happened in the fall. In the fall into sin, in Genesis 3, you had a dragon. The serpent, Satan, speaking to Eve, tempting her to partake of that fruit. And the man, Adam, was standing right there. He was with her and he did nothing. So these stories of the damsel in distress is the lesson to men of all generation, of all ages, that you are to outdo Adam. That when your bride, when the woman is in danger... You are to defend her. That is your duty. She was given to you as a gift from God. And you are to cherish and protect her as the head of the house, as her husband. And by extension, really, we should be protective of all women. And so that's an example of how that works. Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe very, very much plays into some themes. You have the White Queen. She looks beautiful and eloquent. But as Paul himself says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the devil presents himself as an angel of light. The White Queen is a devilish type character presenting herself as an angel of light. Someone who's good. He give, she gives the, the Turkish delight, the delicious, the good, cool water for, um, for Edmund. There's, um, in the characters you have also, um, you have, you have Edmund who, and actually, okay, we're going to get more into the Christology. We'll come back to that. Um, in this movie, you have this big, there's this little hubbub about logic, 
where there's this little line where he says, logically, what do these, they teach these kids these days? Is a comma by the professor, and this is actually going into something about Susan's character. Susan is the older daughter, and the oldest of the girl, older of the two girls, and she is a person that has to always be smart. She feels like she has to always understand what's going on. If she can't understand it, she won't accept it. Even if her eyes tell her, she won't go with logic. She's only going with what she understands. And so they, and the professor catches him on it. Because Edmund is the one that's saying that there is nar no Narnia. And he says, oh, he must be the truthful one. Well, actually, no. The one that's usually truthful is saying that there's a Narnia. And they're not believing her. The one who normally lies is saying there is no Narnia. And they're believing the one who normally lies. Which shows a hole in her logic. And the reason is because she feels like she has to understand it. Even, even if it defies logic, she can't believe it. Even if her eyes see it. Even though if she is witnessing the event, the happening. She's witnessing this huge world inside of a closet. And, and you know, um, she won't believe it. In, in a wardrobe. She doesn't believe it. And she's having troubles with it. And so, um, this whole exchange here about logic, this is hitting at something that C.S. Lewis, um, if you list, read some of his writings, he really goes after the schools. He pokes at them. In the, in the Chronicles of Narnia books, he pokes at the schools. He has other books that do this. And the reason he's doing this is because about this time, there was major education reform in England, and it was education reform that... C.S. Lewis was adamantly against. And it's education reform that's gone to our own country. And um, we're very, we don't, we, we're not logical. Logical has been abandoned, logic has been abandoned in our country. Very heavily. I mean, um, and there's a lot of examples. I'm not going to go too much into the controversial stuff, but it's definitely a denial of logic is happening in our country. And... Um, and it happens on every side. It happens on the left, it happens on the right, it happens with Christians, it happens with atheists, it happens with Muslims, you know, whatever. It's happening across the board. Um, and so he kind of calls out this problem in the education system. The problem, and the problem is when you have a problem with the education system, it affects the thinking of the larger world. And he's writing about this back in the, you know, the 50s and the 60s. Um, in the course of the move, at the, in the movie, uh, they make use of this uh, lamp post. It's a very prominent feature in the film. It's what helps them know where Narnia is and helps them know where the wardrobe is. And I'm not going to focus too much on it, but I could not help but think of the verse uh, from Psalm 109, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And that is what that lamp kind of serves. It's almost like the word, you know, shows us this way. And this lamp shows them the way to home. Just as the word of God shows us the way to Christ. And each of the characters have their own little struggle, little, 
images. You know, Lucy is the one that has the faith of a child. The faith that scripture tells us that, you know, unless you have the faith of a child, you shall never um, enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, uh, you have Peter who has this great desire to be a hero. He wants to be, he's actually a bit like the Peter in scripture. He's bold, he's rash. Um, now he doesn't deny Aslan or anything like that, but he does have that kind of boldness. Uh, Edmund is very much the Judas Iscariot. He betrays everyone. And he does it for sweeties. He does it for a Turkish delight, which apparently is a, a food that is really loved in England. I don't know much about it. Um, but she, you know, he, he very much falls for it. And then, of course, we've already talked about Lucy. The movie has, you know, the story, and C.S. Lewis, you know, very much carves it into it. There is a very strong uh, Christological themes in this movie. Um, you know, I mentioned Edmund playing a Judas Iscariot, uh, betraying everyone, including Aslan. And it is this betrayal that leads to Adlislan being put to death by the devil and by the White Queen and her minions. Just as the betrayal of Judas led to Jesus being crucified by the Romans. Um, but the thing is, just as with Christ, Aslan rose. And there's even this little thing is when he is, you know, when Aslan is dead, the people who are first there to greet Aslan, you know, see Aslan in his death is uh, Lucy and Susan. Just as it was the women who were first at the tomb. They're the ones there when Jesus was crucified. And they were there and the, the tomb on Easter morning. And so they were the first witnesses to the resurrection. Same thing here, Lucy and Susan. Um, are the first witness, they're the ones that witnessed the death, and they're the first ones to witness the resurrection. Um, and the, and the, re, and the revel revelation in there is the reason why Aslan died, is he died for Edmund's sin. He took on Edmund's sin, and he died for it. Just as Jesus took on the sin of the entire world yours and mine he took it on himself and he died on the cross for our sin and so you know it's a very um strong christological movie if you want to or and books if you want to see a more in-depth take on this there are definitely many books out there i know that dr angus manouge who was one of my professors at Concordia University, Wisconsin. He has published a book with Concordia Publishing House, which I think you can find at www.cph.org. He has a book on Chronicles of Narnia, and he looks at the Christological themes scattered throughout all of the books, and all of them do have some strong Christological themes. And, you know, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe... Um, Definitely stands out on top of all this. So, 
with all that, uh, that's what I got for today on our non-traditional uh, Christmas, Christmas movies. And, you know, they like I said, not explicitly Christmas, but it's there. And the, not, the Christmas theme that is in here is that it does have Father Christmas appear. Father Christmas, who is inspired by uh, St. Nicholas of Myra, um, a, a saint from modern-day Turkey, who was a bishop and was at the uh, Council of Nicaea. Um, legend has it that he struck Arius in the face, although it's very unlikely that that legend did not happen. Sorry to ruin it for everyone um, who enjoys those little memes. but um, And I enjoy those memes too, but I also recognize it didn't very likely happen. Um, but he is a person that is, the most famous story of him is that there's um, three girls who were an extreme level of poverty, so extreme was their poverty that they could not afford the dowry um, in order to get married. And so St. Nicholas at night uh, put coins uh, into their shoes so that they could afford, afford the dowry and um, save them from a life of prostitution and slavery. And because of that, a tradition has passed throughout the ages of putting gifts in um, shoes or in stockings on um, on St. Nicholas Day, which is December 6th. And, of course, that has been kind of transitioned over to Christmas. And so, like I said, Father Christmas, who was inspired by St. Nicholas, uh, was is present in the film. He's present in the books. He gives them very important gifts or significant to the plot. So... Uh, that's what I've got, and I hope this was a fun for you. Uh, the next, this coming uh, Friday is going to be a Christmas special. Um, we're going to focus on the movie, The Nativity Story. And with that movie, I'm going to be able to adequately talk about how the nativity really went about, what really happened. And so it's going to be kind of a two-parter. We're going to go through um, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of um, Luke and their accounts on the birth of Jesus. And then um, when we're done, we'll compare it to the movie, uh, The Nativity Story. So with that all in mind, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Again, I am Pastor Neil Wemus. I am a pastor in Northwest Iowa. Uh, you can find out about our churches at www.iowaoclutherens.org. And again, this is the this was the Key Row Film Society. Thank you, and God bless.